Many people know someone who is obsessed with video games. Maybe you have a friend who gets so into their game that it distracts them from other things and becomes a source of rage or frustration. Or on the other side of that, maybe you have a group of friends who gets together regularly to play video games and has a great time together. Video games have become such a big part of our culture, and they're only going to continue to grow in terms of both popularity and the detail in the games themselves. There are also both a lot of positives and a lot of negatives that come with playing video games, but the vast majority of people don't understand both sides of that, and the effects in which video games have. With the increase in popularity comes many differing opinions, and in a medium that raises a lot of questions for people as to the effect they're having on people, I've decided to visit the conversation and the debate about the impact video games have on people's lives and their brains. I'm your host, Matt Yazel a student journalist at Marquette University, and in this three-part podcast series, I'll be examining the impact video games have on people's lives and their brains from three separate perspectives. People who play frequently or competitively, people who play casually or only with friends, and finally, people who don't play at all or are against video games altogether. On today's episode, we focus on casual gaming, both on consoles such as Xbox and PlayStation, and also with games on our phones and tablets, and the impact that these games have on our lives and our mental health. I talked to two Marquette students who identify themselves as casual gamers, as well as Russell Pine, a graduate student in New Zealand who published a systematic review study he did in August about the effects casual gaming had on depression and anxiety. I work half my week as a psychologist, and the other half of the week I'm doing my PhD, and Part of the PhD is looking at designing a casual video game with kind of mental health content on the side to, to help young adolescents with anxiety and depression. So the first thing that I did with my supervisors was just to understand the literature around these simple casual video games like Angry Birds and Bejeweled and, you know, all these, all these things that millions and millions of people play across the world. And just to understand if there's actually any research that's looking at if these are effective or not. And, you know, which populations have they, have they studied and, and what are the kind of dosages or the amount of time that people play. And so, yeah, and so the next point was really to actually do a systematic review and really dive into what were the exact um, games that were being played. And again, yeah, the, the amount of time people were playing them. So out of the systematic review, I think there was 12 or 13 studies and all bar one showed pretty promising effects, especially compared with some of those antidepressants that we know have side effects and they're costly and not everyone can access them. So it was really promising, I guess, to see that people were actually using these games to help their mental health already and then prescribing them actually had that kind of additional effect where people thought it was kind of normal to play it and they allowed themselves to go, hey, I'm going to play it 15, 20 minutes, um, you know, three times a week. And it's kind of just a way of self-regulating and chilling out. So, yeah, it was kind of, it was quite promising to see that so many studies had already started going down this route. And yeah, we're, we're kind of hoping with our research to build upon that and create something with mental health as well. In his studies, Pine examined the differences between big budget video games on consoles like Xbox and PlayStation that you sit and play for a while versus smaller games on a phone that you only play for short periods of time. In terms of like passively just sitting there and playing a game, I think that that might, you know, depending on the length of time, perhaps that could have, you know, some not, you know, some adverse effects. But the thing that I like about the casual video games is that they're not designed to be played for long periods of time. Like you don't typically play a game for longer than 15, 20 minutes because 
the, the, the levels are quite short and sharp, whereas some of the PlayStation and Xbox games where you're sitting there for hours and they kind of hook you for, I think that, that could potentially have some adverse effects. Although another PhD student I'm kind of working with, he's looking at how we can use those kind of big computer games, like you mentioned, or Xbox, to to figure out which kind of people prefer and why they why they prefer those games and like in terms of is it a social aspect that they enjoy such as you know being online online and talking with others and how long is too long and some people are more susceptible to perhaps being hooked more than others he also described key positive and negative aspects to casual mobile games that even in short doses can prove to be an effect of playing for both adolescents and adults he provided a potential solution to a common problem in these games as well. People have gravitated towards these games for a number of different reasons. Like we, we've done another study where we, we asked kind of young adolescents, so like 10 to 14 year olds, um, what their thoughts are about these casual video games. And a lot of them already had categories in their phones that were like, you know, they had three games for relax, uh, relaxation or two games when they're waiting for the bus or three games for when they're bored and they're waiting at a dentist appointment because they're going to get nervous. So depending on how you play them, if you play that, yeah, if you, if you play them just in small dosages, that, that appears to be quite promising. And the systematic review showed that, but yeah, I, I just, the other thing I guess is there are elements to these games, like reinforcement schedules that kind of can get people hooked and, you know, paying money. And I would say that if we did like what, what our idea is, is kind of, instead of using those ads, we're kind of using micro messages for mental health. So we're trying to add, some kind of therapeutic concepts into it as well. So, I mean, if there was an if there was a um, message that they could tell those kind of developers, it would be to kind of hold off on the buying and getting people addicted to paying things, if possible, and trying to add more helpful things, you know, helpful messages into that rather than getting people to pay for these ads. Obviously, one of the most controversial topics when it comes to video games is violence, and the effect that these violent video games have in terms of relating to real life violence. Marquette students Dan Abington and John Leuzzi both said that violent video games such as Call of Duty and Grand Theft Auto were never played in their houses growing up. I never played like Call of Duty growing up or Modern Warfare or any of those kinds of games. I just never, I wasn't allowed to in the first place and I would play them when I was on my friends and I was god awful at them. So I was like, eh, I don't, I don't really feel the need to play something like this because I know a lot of people that do have gaming systems are typically playing Call of Duty or Fortnite or something like that. And I just, I never felt the real need for that. And I think that definitely did contribute to why I don't really play video games a ton. I mean, I don't have any problems with the way my parents raised me in that aspect because I wasn't exactly like drawn to video games in the first place. I spent all of my time outside when I was younger. So I never really felt the need to play video games. But like when we grew up and we wanted to play more, my parents were like, fine, that's okay. And I kind of respect the fact that they didn't want us to play um, like shooter games and things like that because, I don't know, it, it just, sometimes you don't want your kids to see that and that makes sense to me. I don't think it's ever a good thing to introduce young people to playing violent games with guns because um, you don't know what the future is going to be for anybody. It, I think nobody knows what, I don't know what my future is going to be. You don't know what yours is, but when you're introduced to something at a young age, it tends to stay with you for longer. I think right now with, you can basically get whatever video game that you want on an iPhone, iPad and all that. It's very scary. I think parents need to take it more serious. And there's a reason why they have ratings and why they have restrictions and that, all that kind of stuff on these consoles now. And they need to take it more serious and, 
actually look into it a little bit more because you can't afford to screw up a young kid's brain. One of the biggest disconnects in the conversation of the effects video games have on people is what kids understand about video games versus what their parents understand about video games. It's not uncommon for parents to not understand video games at all, and as a result, not know how to correctly manage their children playing video games. Again, the work that I do is often with the parents to set the children up you know, with activities. And one of the, the ways that I like to do it is, is we call this thing, like if, 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 if a person is having, you know, depressive episodes or something like that, then we can kind of frame it as an activity schedule. So, you know, that's just scheduling um, enjoyment, enjoyable activities over a period of time. And by doing that, you know, you kind of, you have more enjoyment basically. And one of the things that I've kind of worked with a few parents around is actually just scheduling in those times that, the young person or the child can actually play the games and then having kind of a you know a routine where at seven or eight o'clock then there's no games but you know during four to five they can play two or three different types of games and then you could perhaps the, the parent could perhaps ask questions about um, what the game was or how they felt during that period or was it hard to get off was it hard to transition between when I asked you to get off and when you actually got off because that can be a sticky point as well but I think preparing parent if parents can prepare for their child to ha have that kind of technology in their life, which is basically inevitable, then they're better prepared to have those kind of conversations or set them up because it's kind of like the idea I think is that technology is obviously here to stay, but it's how you have those conversations with the children and um, how you set them up ahead of time. there are of course negatives of playing video games, holding a controller and staring at a screen, or even getting hooked to an iPhone game and being distracted. But what are some of the positives of playing video games? I think there are a lot of positive effects of video games. First of all, I think it provides some people with an opportunity to like fit in, because like if a kid's not athletic or they're not smart in school, sometimes they're, them being good at video games can give them a source of confidence. So I think that's something that's actually really helpful. And I think sometimes it actually helps with your reflexes which is somewhat of a weird thing to say, but a lot of times, like, I didn't even realize people just don't have that kind of reflex, but I have it because I've played these games. Video games in general continue to get more and more realistic with their graphics. So can sports video games such as NBA 2K and Madden inspire people to try those sports in the real world and be more active? They might not be big fans of sports, but they decided, let's give it a try. They're, they're learning the sport through a video game which might lead to something else down the road. They might end up saying, oh, I like how this game is played out. Let me try playing basketball, for example, outside. And maybe I'll become a CYO or an AAU kind of player when I grow up a little bit like that. So I think there's a lot to positive in more games nowadays, just because you have more ability to get creative with these games when you're a game developer. Pine also described how he found some positives throughout his studies with depression and anxiety, and how he handled some of the kids who really got into the games. On the other hand, it can be a self-regulating tool that you could use in certain situations to calm yourself down. And then once you've calmed yourself down or whatever, then you could go out there in the kind of real world and, and do whatever you wanted to do. What we try and do, I guess, is give people a, a menu of different options and say, here's one, two, three things that you could do. How does that sit with you? Some people don't like the game at all, get, get like these games at all, and some people love them. And I guess for the people that love them, it's kind of having that conversation with them and saying, it's okay 
to love them and it's an activity that you enjoy, you probably get a lot out of it and it's okay, you know, just in, 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 again, in moderation. So, you know, you're flexible kind of with the amount of time that you spend. Despite the fun and enjoyment video games bring, especially with those that are more lighthearted and can be played with others, Leuzi said that if he was never able to play a video game again in his life, he'd be perfectly okay with that. I would. I would. And, you know, as much as I like playing Madden and MLB The Show when I'm home on the Xbox and PS4, I'd rather watch games live than play with a fake character on the game and get tired of the game. Because i I got to be honest, when you get a new game, you play for a lot at the beginning and then you get tired of it. Say, I beat the game already. What am I doing now? And you you play seasons and all that kind of stuff in these sports games. And, you know, I think I can live without video games if they were removed. Pine, with his research, wants to try and change the trend in how we research and how we look at video games as a whole. It is quite an emerging field of research, and especially when you consider that a lot of the research is focused on the negative effects, you know, for many years, like you said before, the Call of Duty and and, you know, you could write for days and days about all the negative effects that people think that video games have. But I think there's also some real positive effects and there's an opportunity to use these games for, you know, mental health and actually helping people. So it's really good to have a more balanced perspective of these games rather than just, you know, the people that kind of think, oh, no, no um, electronics or no technology or no Call of Duty or whatever it is. there you have it. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Impact of a Game. Next time, we will be focusing on the more frequent and competitive gamers, and how the video games they play impact their lives both when they're in front of their screens and when they're in the real world. This is Matt Yazel signing off. Have a great day.